Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome, listeners, to this Mastering Life podcast episode where... I'm going to be having a conversation with a lady called Sonova Sheldell, and it's going to be a very, very sensitive episode um, because the lady in question is going to be taking us through a journey that, um, well, I won't mince my words, it's about rape, and it's how that very, very courageous lady has come through that ordeal and... She's got some fantastic insights to share and she's certainly not in victim mode over it. So without further ado, um, Sonova, a very, very warm welcome to you and thank you so much for, for having the courage to share your story. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for inviting me. Like I like it, like I told you before we ever started recording, I think it's I still get amazed that some people like want to hear hear the story or yeah because it was just the story of my life yeah that I used to live in and and um and still it amazes me like how we can all have the possibility to change our our stories just yeah mm. okay so for the benefit of the um for the listeners Sonova can you can you uh use your own words to give some context to that story, you know, take us back yeah. to, you know, to, well, to tell us the story, give us a bit more of an insight, who you are and what you've been through and your journey. Um, yeah. So if you can start that, that, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try. You know, I, I came to Norway because I live in Norway. So I came to Norway when I was five months old, I was adopted from Korea and uh, I think probably my whole story and how I where I put myself self-worth came instantly from the from that moment when I was adopted because so when I was adopted in the 70s a lot of the adoptees in at least in Norway they came with this return guarantee and because I I was so small, because I was five months old, I weighed less than two and a half kilos, which is not normal. So because they didn't know if I could survive the flight from Korea to Norway over the North Pole and the pressure of the air and stuff, they didn't know how that would affect my brain. Right. So... Yeah, so my my guarantee of return became a seven-year guarantee for my parents to be able to return me until I was seven and a half year, eight year, if they wanted, yeah. Okay, so let me um, get a, a bit more of an understanding on that. When, when you say the return guarantee, 
Sinova. What, what do you mean by that? I don't quite understand um, what's quite meant by that. So, you know, as, as yeah. a, a, a child, a young, a young infant child, vulnerable, then um, obviously uh, is transported over to Norway. What yeah. does that mean, that return guarantee, that that's only going to be for a, a limited amount of time or...? Uh, the the return guarantee for my parents was seven years. Right. So if they if they decided in any way that they were not happy with the outcome of their it was not what they expected mm. when they said yes to the adoption, they was able to return me with ship me just ship me back with no no questions or yeah. Um, so it it was not like. It was not that I had to um, have a big brain injury or something like that. They could just say, no, this is not what we wanted when we said yes to that adoption. So at any time then, Sinova, during that period, they could have called you back um, yeah. at any time at all within that seven-year yeah. seven period? Yes. Right, okay. Wow. They could. And even though my parents like dearly loved me and they still do i still got other family members that didn't uh, probably or today i know that they probably didn't approve of my parents adoption Mm. but they would always tell me that because we lived near close to the the rest of the family so they would some of them would tend to a lot along my childhood tell me that you know if you don't behave if you don't you know that if you don't behave and if you if you don't live up to your parents expectation your mom and dad can just ship you back anytime yeah wow okay so how did you grow up then so at what age Sinova was you aware that you know, you, you'd got um, adopted parents in Norway and biological real parents um, back home in Korea. What, you must have been obviously very, very young when, when that came to your uh, consciousness. Yeah, I think like my parents always had our, you know, my parents always had the files of the adoptions, adoption for me open. So whenever, I think whenever I wanted, I could, yeah, I think whenever I wanted, I could go into that pile and, and see, and they were very open about me being adopted. And that was why I didn't have the blue eyes and the blonde hair stuff. Mm. Yeah. So I, I, I was very early aware of that. And, um, and they also adopted uh, a sister for me, also from Korea, uh, in the eighties. But when she came, there was no. Then they, they had stopped the guarantee, um, fully stopped the guarantee of return. Um, but that also made made me very aware that we were different from the other kids. Right. Because my mom had to go to leave to to pick up another pick up a baby yeah wow so growing up as a child then Sinova how did that how did that make you feel 
I was always scared, always fearful, always so insecure about if I was doing the right thing. So it's I when even when I talk about it now, like I, I, it feels very difficult because I always knew and I still know, always like known that my parents just loved loved me so dearly, mm. you know. And 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 deep in my heart, I knew that they would never ship me back. Right. But still, knowing that I had other family members telling me that and reminding me that just made me scared all the time. Yeah, was there I was com- so scared. Was there confusion, Sonova, as well, in terms of you know you you speak of this love that you're your natural parents had for you, but at the same time you was being nurtured and, and brought up by some new parents in, in Norway. Did that not create a lot of confusion in your world? At the moment, I didn't understand it as confusion. Mm. It was just how how my life was. Right, okay. Yeah, because I I, I went home and... Uh, and I had my loving parents there, and and then we went to the neighbor, which was 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 an aunt, uh, and I went to my grandparents, and 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 suddenly they would they would just tell me like you know if you don't behave or if you know if I see you do that I will tell your parents and they will ship you back or whatever. So there was always these threats about my my existence, and I I like. I tried to reflect on that this week that I I think I was so young when I I reflected on that I I couldn't understand what I was doing in this earth I I'd never from a very young age I felt like I shouldn't live actually even though I was loved and I had this purpose and actually it also it made my purpose to make my parents happy Right. It was in some way like uh, it became a mission, a purpose for me to make not only my parents happy, but but all the people that I that I met, I should do happy because or else I would be in danger <laughs> in some way. Yeah. Mm. So I suppose... and I laugh about it today because because I know that oh that sounds horrible. Reflecting mm. on it. Yeah, and when you when you speak of the you know need them to make your parents happy, you're speaking about your Norwegian parents now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, there's great learning in that Sonova, isn't there? In terms of you know, while ever we operate for somebody else's benefit or somebody else's happiness, we've lost total control of our own lives because yeah. we're at the you know. Well, I suppose it's, uh, I don't know if this is an appropriate metaphor, but I suppose it's a bit like a dog then, um, you know, jumping or running or walking to, to, you know, just because its master says so, it, you know, the dog's got no control. It just does as it's, it's told and its life really yeah. isn't its own. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Okay. So obviously you didn't go back to Korea. Um, no, I didn't. What, what, what was there any reason for that sort of seven year, seven and a half year scenario not being brought in into practice, Sonova? No, I don't. Actually, my parents they never knew that that I had 
other family members saying this to me. I told my parents just a few years ago that that I that I experienced that as a young child, and they were like terrified, like what, like you know, they never they they didn't even go like no that can't be possible like they were just like the loving parents that I always knew like oh did you experience like how awful like you know did they really do that to you like we never knew and oh my god like why didn't you tell before why didn't you tell us and stuff but I was I was too scared mm. of telling because I also thought that that telling would would make them want to ship me back I'm with you. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you. Okay, so obviously, you know, you're starting to grow up now and, um, you know, these things were kind of going off in the background. Yeah. So bring us to that, uh, unless there's something in between that you want to elaborate on that, Sonova, but what I was going to say was, if you will, bring us to that fateful event of when you were 17 years of age. Yeah. When I was 17, I, you know... I actually I I had um been working that evening and I was going home from my work late night because I used to work in this restaurant as a 17 year old and I was finished by four o'clock in the morning and so I would do the bus home normally my parents would come pick me up or whatever but I Actually, this time I just said, no, I will just do the bus home. It's, it's fine. I will meet some people that I know that I can take the bus home with and everything will be fine. Mm. And on this bus, I met, the, I met some people that I knew from before. And actually, a lot of them were friends of mine. And then this guy who I also knew, and I, in some way, I saw him as a friend I did actually see him as a friend and they were just kidding around because they had been drinking alcohol and stuff. So they were just kidding around. And then suddenly they were like, yeah, you're going to, um, to, uh, after party with us. And I was like, no, I'm going home to sleep because I'm going to work tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And then they decided to just take me off the bus before it was my stop. Okay. So these people, these guys just carried me off the bus. And then I was like, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, okay, I will just, okay, whatever. And I will just leave in 10 minutes or whatever. Because still my my purpose was there. My purpose is to make people happy. Yeah. So it also made me feeling that I couldn't, like even though I resisted, I couldn't fully resist. So when I, I uh, when we came to this after party, I got this big glass of um, alcohol, and then I was told, and I I was forced to drink the alcohol, and they told me if you if you don't drink it, if you don't empty if you're not emptying the glass, you cannot go, you cannot leave. We will keep you here. Right. And so then I I in my imagination I was just thinking okay then i will of course just quickly drink that glass and leave but you know that glass never got empty and uh, and suddenly like i got so sick 
you know, when you drink, drink too much alcohol, you get sick. At least if you drink alcohol in your youth, you know, maybe one time that you drank too much and you got sick. Yes. And so I got sick. And um, and I was like, yeah. And they probably saw that I got sick. So then they, of course, they didn't want to keep me inside the house anymore. So then I was, yeah, okay. And I will just go home. And this guy that I had, like, I met him so many times before. I, I saw him as a friend. He came after me and he said, you know, you know, you have um, some walking to do home. Like, I want you, want you to feel safe, you know, so I will follow you home. And I was like, yeah, oh, I was, I was so grateful that I didn't have to go home by myself. And it, were all, it were all, was all, I felt that I did everything that my parents told me that, that I should do. Like, never go alone, find somebody you trust. Yeah. So I we went walking and... Um, Along the way, he asked me some questions that I was like reflecting, like, why are you asking these questions? Like, a, but probably also with the alcohol, I, I couldn't absorb the, what he was actually asking about. But he, he actually followed me all the way to the door home. And a lot of people tend to think that when I say that he followed me home, of course, they think that I will say, oh, so then he raped me or in the woods or something, but he didn't. He followed me to the door and I went to my parents and I uh, went into my mom's room, my parents' room, and I said, yeah, I'm home, I'm safe, everything is good, everything's okay. But this guy followed me home, so I will just stand outside chatting with him for 10 minutes and I will go to sleep. And, uh, but when I got back out in the hall, he already came in the house. And then he went to the living room and then he chatted so loud and I was scared that he would wake my parents up. So then I was like, yeah, okay, let's just maybe just go to the room or whatever so you don't wake up the whole house. So we did. And just after maybe five minutes, he just hit me. And I didn't know what, what happened until I was actually lying on my own bed, undressed. With him, with him on top of me, and oh um, when that happened, I, you know, I had even, I had been training uh, self-defense, and in my mind, my trainer, I could hear the voice of my trainer telling me like, if you ever need it, you need to make sure that you can do it like very efficiently or else don't do it. Yeah. And I never saw the opportunity to do it in that way that I thought that he was, that he meant. Um, and even though I knew that my parents were in the house, you know, I was so ashamed that, that I didn't want to, I didn't want to wake my parents telling them like, you know, what is happening in your own house. I didn't want to tell them. So my mom woke up because I, I did get the chance and I did say no and all of that. And I did resist. So my mom woke up and because she heard the noise and she went to the living room and sat there. And I know after we talked about it that she felt there was something very wrong, but she didn't know what it was. Right. 
and uh, and this so I got from from that morning I got I was held like a prisoner in my own room for I think uh, almost four hours uh, being beaten and uh, bitten uh, and raped and then my mom suddenly came to the door and she was like knocking really hard and he and he got scared so then my mom just screamed or she didn't scream but she told like really harsh that whoever is in there have to leave now and uh, so he then he jumped off uh off the bed he'd uh, get on uh, get dressed again and i got dressed and i just hit my face with my hair because I used to have long hair at that time and then he went downstairs and he, he actually he went to my mom he said you know hi oh you must be Sonova's mom yeah um, and he presented himself and I just hid from my mom so I followed him down because I didn't dare doing anything that would be unregular for them yeah so I just followed him downstairs and he just said by the door, if you ever tell this, I I swear to God, I, I will kill you. And I was so sure that he would if I ever told that I decided, of course, I will not. And I ensured him so deeply that I would never tell. Mm. And um, yeah, so then when I, and then when I get, when I was to walk back to my room, my mom said, oh, what a young, nice man. And I was, yeah, yeah, sure. And that uh, that comment from her that he was this young, nice man, like, also left me feeling like I cannot tell because he's a young, young, fancy, nice man. She sees him, sees him as a, a good man, or a good boy, yeah. So then I, I just, just said that I couldn't tell. But you know how... So I tried just convincing myself that this never happened, this never happened, until I was convinced. It took me some hours and it took me some days, but I I got pretty good at it until I could start believing that myself that this never happened. Then my body got sick and didn't work anymore and I didn't sleep anymore, I couldn't go to school anymore. So I had all of these signs that something was wrong, but I didn't understand it myself at the moment. So finally, the whole the whole body collapsed, uh, and in some way, I think that my uh, my brain collapsed, but my mental stuff also collapsed. I couldn't hold it anymore, and then I, I just I just got forced to tell my mom. Right. Yeah. Mm. And from there, it all went, of course, up. They were, of course, very supportive, asking why I didn't tell. Of course, they suspected something happened. My mom was very clear that she felt that something happened that night. So she herself brought it up that it was that specific evening or that specific morning. She knew that something happened because for her, I changed so radically that she was sure that something happened but she didn't have the courage to ask because she didn't 
And she also told me later on that she she didn't have the courage to ask me because she she really she didn't like the answer. Yeah. She didn't want it to be true. Mm. Yeah. So what was the obviously what was the kind of knock on effect, Sinova? You know, for what was the, um, the knock on effect? You know, the the shame, the guilt, uh, the the bad feeling for you know how long did that last? Was that was that weeks? Was that months? Was that years? You know, take take us forward now about living with that experience and and how how that was for you and the knock on effect, you know, that it had on yeah. your life. Yeah, it you know it's in some in not in some ways in all ways I felt like it was so shameful. I. I had like in Norway at that time, I had never heard anybody talk about being raped. Right. Rape was for me was something that happened in war, mm. like and so distant from Norway. I, I never heard anybody talking about it in the community where we lived. I certainly didn't know anybody that had been going through that stuff. Um, and also the same people that, of course, told me that I could be shipped back home when I was little if I didn't behave. They would also tell me like, yeah, sure. Of course, that happened to you because you're a tramp. Right. It's the way you behave or whatever. But I just felt so guilty all the time. I I didn't know it, and I didn't. I, so I didn't think that I deserved to live anymore. And and do you feel looking back now, Sonova, that that reaction, that comment, and I suppose I'm asking you now because you've got the benefit of hindsight and yeah. wisdom and experience. But when people, you know, well, it must have been something you said or you did that made it happen. But isn't that people's yeah. That's people's own lack of awareness and fear around yeah. the situation because it's a very, very, very difficult situation to come yeah. to terms with, isn't it? And, and yeah. people tend to cope with things the best way and that yeah. they know how. We can only deal with the situation in, in our yeah. level of awareness at that given moment yeah. in time. And it strikes me that, you know, that, you know, you're a tramp and you're this and it's all your fault and that was yeah. that lashing out that anger was really their own fear and insecurity about yeah. essentially what is such a horrible horrible horrific um, thing to happen to a to a human being yeah but also i think i think that i you know i i, I eventually also went to the police right um because i don't know what i don't know what happened but in some way i decided to stand up for myself and report the incident to the police and then and then of course the police also asked like what what clothes did you wear what time was it oh it was a saturday evening oh oh you had alcohol oh yeah you know yeah so i felt judged to to say the least i felt so judged but the only moment I had was that I felt that I could say that that I didn't do anything to deserve this was that I had been to work. I smelled badly because I had been standing in work, working hard all, all day and all night. 
I wasn't dressed like for for partying. I was dressed to to go to work, and that was the only thing that I could like hold on to that that was um, a sign that I didn't want it to happen. Yeah. Okay, so bring us forward even more, Sonova, if you will, and yeah. tell us how you've you've used that that experience to transform your life now in the work that you've done you know what kind what kind of journey did you go on after that to take you to the place where you are now because I think this is where it really does um you know become very very uh, there's some very powerful messages in here yeah you know I also I I realized that I that I needed help so I asked for help and the first I I was sent to the psychologist and he said, I never work with this before. <laughs> he said, I've never ever experienced anybody telling loudly that hey, they have been raped. So I don't know what to do. But also was a common thing that if you could reflect on it, if you could talk about it, then you were fine. So after a few sessions, he was like, yeah, you can talk about it without getting too emotional. You're healed, he told me. It's no use for you to come here anymore because you're finished. You're, you can deal, you are dealing with this as good as you can ever deal with this. But I didn't feel it inside. I didn't feel healed. I didn't, I felt like an emotional wreck. It just didn't show on the outside. Right. So then I went for my, and I, but then I thought that, okay, he, the professional says that there is no more help for me. I cannot, I have to cope with this. Okay, I will try. Uh, and then I went, I left for my studies. And uh, after a while, you know, I felt that I saw this guy everywhere. And, and uh, I was so scared all the time. And I could feel my body going back to towards collapsing again yeah nobody knew about what happened where i moved so i didn't i didn't have i didn't know anybody it was in the probably in the beginning uh maybe half a year out in my first semester of my studies i didn't tell anybody i didn't want anybody to know about that because I want. I didn't want to be judged again. Mm. So then I went to see a healthcare center, and I told him, like, you know, I have this, I have this incident with me. Can you help me? Can you please help me? I don't. I cannot cope with this very well. And then I, of course, I was sent to the, um, to what we in Norway uh, refer as the crisis center. Yeah. And they told me, I'm sorry, we don't have any, we don't have any offer to give you. So if you, if you need help, then you have to, to make, make it yourself. And I was like, yeah, I have to make it my, my make my the help that I need myself. Yeah. They said, yeah, do you, do you have to help? You have to, you have to create that uh, help yourself, but we can help you. So then I said, okay, of course, okay, yeah, let's do this. And then uh, I was invited to 
do some speeches telling my story to a lot of um, teenagers uh, with the, the college, with the university. Um, and then uh, I, the, the hospital asked me to come do a talk for them, do a speech for them on how to work with the traumatized. And just and how like it, it just in, in that way in the whole thing in some way shifted and I understand that this can also be a, in some way a resource and I did see that it would be a resource for the people I could see that telling my story would move people and even though they didn't have a history of rape they might identify something else within themselves so then I started talking to a lot of people uh, about what what they could feel inside themselves when I was telling my story, how it affected them. And also a lot of rape victims came through with their stories. So I created this group um, and I just put up some health, like some self-help stuff. Like I didn't know about it. The self-help stuff, but I just did what I needed for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So what would be your message, Sonova, now to, you know, to anybody that's um, not just the rape, not, you know, not just the sort of ordeal of the rape, which is, is horrific in, in its extreme, but for people that are really sort of challenged and struggling and you know what would be your message my message is that whatever whatever holds you back you can heal and you can actually heal it yourself but it's 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 difficult doing it yourself but you can do it yourself if if that's what you want and that we all have we all have the resources to to change our stories to have another, to have a better future, if we want, but we also have to decide on it that we want something different for our future. Yeah, because I think without that sort of guiding light, that as you and you've used the right word there for me, future Sonova. I mean, it's uh, you know, I think the temptation or the experiences that, that we dwell in victimhood. I know I did for many years with my drink addiction, yeah. and you know, and all the the cruelty, the abuse and everything that had gone off in my childhood. And I carried that forward yeah. for years. And I was a victim. I, you know, I didn't know yeah. it at the time, but I was a victim yeah. and I'd allowed yeah. myself to become that. So I hear you strongly when you say, you know, about you can heal yourself. I know Louise Hay, um, you know, yeah. she was a great advocate of, you know, yeah. you can heal yourself. Um, yeah. I mean, do you think it's, do you think it's easier to heal you? I mean, this is a massive generalization and it's a really, really, really big question. But do you think it's easier if you, you try and heal yourself? Or do you think that if you've got that commitment to to take that responsibility to heal, heal, but you've got somebody that really cares, not necessarily an expert, but somebody that really cares about you, do you think that's a, a better alternative? Is there a comparison? You know, is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? What's your thoughts around that, Sonova? You know, I tend to see that a lot of people 
would have the tendency to, in some way, easier say yes to heal themselves for others. Because um, if they have a lot of or big traumas, they normally, a lot of them can't find their the self-worth within, the, within themselves to heal mm. for themselves. Yeah. But they will heal for their kids, for parents, for siblings, for, for friends, if they have that they are supported. Yes. By those same people. Yeah, I, I get and that. Also, I think uh, help a lot of people go into to work helping other people and and by helping other people they also help themselves mm. yeah yeah as a way sinova i i really do want to thank you for for sharing this this amazing journey that you've taken and, and the work that you do now to honor that work that you do in helping so many other people that um you know have had these challenges bestowed upon them through you know, through no fault of their own. And, and obviously you're a guiding light and, a, and an absolute rock. Um, so I do massively, massively honour you for that work and express sincere gratitude for, as I say, having the, the strength and the courage to come on and share your journey, share your story. More importantly, share your message, that message of hope and determination and inspiration. Um. So before we sign off, Sinova, is, is there anything that you feel you want to add to, to uh, by way of a, a message to our listeners? If I, if I can say anything, that w I would just say thank you for having me on, the, on your podcast because I do strongly believe that it's all about coming back to who you are and that you can live you can live the life that you want and you choose mm. in some way. I know also, and I know that some people get feel that it's provocative saying that you can choose because we tend to feel that we cannot choose. But I always say, say that we have like every minute, every day is an opportunity to choose something different. Yeah. We can always choose. We always have the right to choose differently. Yes, definitely. And, and if, if this story in some way resonates it's, or, yeah, wakes an emotion or whatever, I encourage you to seek the help that you need for your journey, whatever journey that is towards a, a better future for you. Mm. Yeah. So, how can people contact you then, Sinova, if they wanted to get in touch with you or they wanted to find out more about the work that you do, the excellent, the brilliant work you do? How can they get? How can they get in touch with you? If they um, want, they can just go to my Facebook, send me a message there. Um, I will reply as soon as I, I see the the message. Um, I. Do not longer have the the website anymore because I put down uh, one of the organizations that I'm, I um, created. But just uh, get in touch by Facebook or LinkedIn or the social media. Okay. Or so, through you. 
Or through me, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So just for the benefit, obviously, because of, you know, we had a little joke, uh, didn't we, before we came on here about the pronunciations yeah. of both your, your first and your second name. Can, can you spell yeah. that, please, for your first name? S-Y-N-N-O-V-E. So S-Y-N-N-O-V-E. Yes. And your second name? K-J-E-L-D-A-L. Okay. And I've obviously pronounced it Sonova Sheldad. But uh, um, for the benefit of the listeners, yes, those um, um, those spellings of uh, Sonova's name will be in the show notes as well. But um, as, as the lady quite rightly says, you know, if it's any any uh, confusion just get in touch with me and then obviously i'll signpost directly to sonova anyway so okay well sonova i thank you once again i really do and thank uh, you thank you to the listeners as well for being part of this um very sensitive and very very strong journey that sonova's uh, taken and shared with us and so until next time all that remains for me to say is is keep safe keep loving and keep mastering life Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.